0: Back warriors, tanse sego ani buju, kwe nin pam pampometer, and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, practices, laws, and governing systems. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And there's no one way to live a warrior life. We all have to do our part at different times in different ways and with different degrees of energy. Ultimately, we do what we can when we have to and we never give up. This is how we'll always be able to live a certain defend our sovereignty and our nationhood. And that's what today's podcast is all about. I'm sharing with you an address that I gave to a Mi'kmaq Nationhood conference that was held in PEI. Some of you contacted me and asked if I could share that address, and so I decided to put it on my podcast. But before we get started, I wanted to share sh- some great news with you all. Some of you might have wondered why there was no podcast last week. Where was I? Well, my Warrior Life podcast was chosen by the Imaginative Film Festival to be featured alongside other Native podcasts at their festival this year, and that's where I was. The event was held at the Indigenous. Um, in digital space at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto. And they had set up these really cool stations where you could put on headphones and listen to all of the featured native podcasts. And after that, we also participated in a panel discussion about our podcasts, like how we got started, what our core issues are, um, what we think the value of podcasts are, and you know how we utilize this ultimately to advance our cause as native people and to me it was like really awesome to have this conversation uh, with all these other native podcasters and some of them featured uh, Media Indigena which is run by Rick Harp and I actually used to be a commentator on his podcast so it was really great to see him again and then um, some other podcasts like Medicine for the Resistance and there were many many others so I really appreciate how this Film Festival made sure to include a space for sound artists, because podcasts are becoming, you know, popular not just as entertainment resources, but also for educational purposes. And, you know, the other thing I really like about podcasts in particular is that local radio stations can play them, you know, like your local res radio station, even in remote communities. And that way, everybody has access to the information because we forget sometimes when we live in the south especially or in urban areas that youtube requires the internet and some remote or northern communities either don't have the internet or they rely on shared satellites that don't have enough bandwidth for things like youtube videos however Podcasts are easily accessible and playable on local reserve radio stations or in other remote communities. So I think it's important that we continue to use you know, platforms that are accessible by all of our people. So I just want to give a huge thank you to the Imaginative Film Festival for featuring my Warrior Life podcast and for specifically highlighting two of my most popular podcast shows. So one of the most popular ones is Ecocide and Genocide Go Hand in Hand. And that's about the relationship between the destruction of the environment and the crisis of murder to missing indigenous women and girls. And the other, um, popular podcast show that I did was called Reconciliation with Indigenous Peoples and Universities and Colleges. And so those are the two specific shows that were highlighted and played at the film festival. And, you know, I have to also acknowledge that these are the most popular podcast shows because they were chosen by all of you. So thank you all for listening, for your support, for sharing these podcasts. I mean, it it makes a huge difference and so many of you send me podcast ideas or questions or positive feedback and that really helps um, me keep this podcast going. So happy Friday, happy November 1st and I hope you enjoy today's podcast about Mi'kmaq Nationhood. So what is nationhood? Well I think first and foremost we shouldn't get hung up on English terminology. I mean effectively we have to have many of these conversations in English. It doesn't translate well to Mi'kmaq or any of the other indigenous languages. I think we have to focus on the general concept or idea. So when we're talking about nationhood we're talking about sovereignty and independence and peoplehood and self-determination. It doesn't really matter which word you use. It's ultimately about our collective, our governing strength in our territory and all of our people. Now sometimes people try to minimize what our nationhood is actually all about. They'll say that it's about our culture, our language, and our identity. And those are very, very important aspects of our nationhood, but it's not the only parts of our nationhood. If we were just limited to our culture and identity, we would effectively be no different than any other ethnic group or cultural group that has migrated to Canada and have settled here. What we're talking about is something far bigger, bigger than that, we're talking about our collective governance, our territories, um, everything that it means to be a sovereign nation. And so what are those aspects of being a sovereign nation? Well, it's about our collective governance, how we govern ourselves, and that can be through elections, it can be through traditions, it can be through a combination of both. It's also about lawmaking, law enforcement, and then adjudicating those laws, having all of those processes working together at once. It's about our economies, it's about... um, domestic trade, it's about international trade, it's about manufacturing, it's about inventions, it's about science, it's about all of our traditional and modern knowledges. It's literally everything that you can think of that any other nation or state or peoples around the world are involved in. Those are the core aspects of our nationhood as well. And another important part of our nationhood is our definable and well-defended territories. Everyone knows where the Mi'kmaq territory is. We have been defending it since time immemorial. We've been sharing it with other nations since time immemorial. We've from time to time entered into different confederacies, treaties, alliances, and agreements to use these territories at different points in time. But at no time have we Ever surrendered or ceded or given up any of our territories. And that's a core aspect of who we are as a nation. So another aspect of our sovereign nationhood is about exercising our inherent powers to be self-determining. And inherent means pre-existing, pre-contact. It wasn't given to us by any uh, colonizing government. It wasn't granted to us in a piece of paper or a law somewhere. Our inherent powers come directly from the creator who put us in our territory to be the land uh, caretakers, to be the ones who take care of our people, um, and all of the plants and animals and fish and insects and birds within our our collective territory. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get caught up in this um, colonial game of recognition. We're constantly going to federal, provincial, municipal governments or, or other entities for recognition of who we are. But that is completely irrelevant to being a sovereign nation. So in order to be a sovereign nation, you don't require recognition by any other state or government in the world. Now, sometimes it's true that acts of sovereignty over a long period of time eventually translate into both informal and formal aspects of recognition. There might be other states that say we recognize this state or this country or this nation as independent or sovereign, but the whole concept of sovereignty is not about an external recognition. It's about an internal assertion, living, and defending of our collective, our peoplehood, our nation nationhood, our self-determination, and it gets uh, characterized as sovereignty. We make our nationhood real and concrete by our ongoing actions. And that's a very important point to understand about Mi'kmaq nationhood. We are here because of our ongoing resistance, our ongoing defense of our territory and our rights and our peoples. And it's not ever going to be a situation where we can say, look great we have now achieved sovereignty or we have achieved nationhood and we can sit back and relax because it's not a state of being and in fact it's not even a right it's a it's a verb it's an action it's an ongoing organic process that must consistently be defended or other sovereign entities will come in and displace that sovereignty and break us up and that's the last thing that we need as a nation moving forward forward. We live and breathe our nationhood by our very existence. We resisted all attempts to wipe us out through scalping bounties or smallpox blankets or forced sterilizations or all of the rations and and the incredible poverty they have put on our nations. We have resisted and we have survived and we are still here as a collective that's the important part it's not as just random individuals all over the place just saying oh i have some sort of ancestry it's really always about our relationship and our responsibility to the collective our collective only exists Because we as individuals are supportive of that collective, we contribute to it, we're loyal to it, and we recognize it. We have refused to surrender our lands. We have refused to redefine our borders, to give it away to other people. We have refused to abandon our territories even though they forcibly displaced us to small reserves. We have never stopped claiming all of Mi'kma'ki as our sovereign territory. We have refused to give up our language and our culture, our practices and our identities even in the face of the most extreme abuse and, and assimilatory forces possible. That's what Mi'kmaq nationhood is all about. But like I just said, it is not a right. We will never get to a place where we can just sit back and say, because there's a piece of paper that says we're sovereign, or that says we're a nation, or that says we're a collective, we don't have to do any work. We have lots and lots and lots of work to do, and every successive generation uh, behind us and, and currently and ahead of us all have to contribute to protecting our nationhood so that it exists many, 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 many generations into the future. And here's the thing, it's a lot harder to assert, live and defend our sovereignty and nationhood on a day-to-day basis than it is to lose it. And that's just an unfortunate reality. And we know from the past that there have been extremely violent forces used against us to try to break us up as a nation, to try to make us give up our territories. We know that. We know about the scalping bounties. We know about everything that uh, Indian Affairs has done really to keep us contained and And to give us no hope for the future at all and it's not just about what they've done in the past some of those assimilatory forces are even stronger today I mean we're literally surrounded by incredible pressure to just give up and assimilate into Canadian society Think about all of the very powerful legal, political, social, and cultural forces that exist all over Turtle Island in Canada, the United States, Mexico with our brothers and sisters in South America. I mean, all of the education systems, health systems, legal systems, economic systems are all based on the colonizer's uh, laws, the colonizer's ways of being, the colonizer's culture Cultures and languages and identities and we are impacted by those forces on a daily basis and so it takes an extra amount of effort to resist but at the same time revitalize. And all of our energy can't just be 100% focused to the project of decolonization and resisting assimilation and keeping these powerful colonial forces at bay. We also have to make sure that we all of the energy and the time and the resources and the workload amongst us all so that we can give an equal amount of time and energy to revitalization revitalizing our our culture and our language revitalizing our laws and traditions and revitalizing and rebuilding our nation if we are out of balance in any way we won't be successful on this nationhood endeavor and so far we have been very fortunate to have been people who give up all of their time and energy to making sure that we're both resisting and revitalizing at the same time. And I have every faith that all of you at this conference will all find a way to divide up the work and the energy and the time and the resources needed to make sure that we're balanced going forward as the Mi'kmaq Nation. Now I'm going to get a little bit political here because I also see that there are some other very significant threats to our nationhood right now. We have national aboriginal organizations who are well-funded entirely funded by federal and or provincial governments who are claiming to speak on our behalf, who are making deals on our behalf, who are supporting legislation on our behalf. And that is a critical hit to our sovereignty and nationhood when third party entities go in and presume to take over our right to be decision makers as rights holders, as sovereign nations. So I think we have to rethink very carefully our relationship with other corporate entities, be it a national aboriginal organization, a provincial aboriginal organization, or any other uh, industry or government. We have to make sure that we are always the ones speaking for ourselves. Another threat to our nationhood is Canada's own court systems. We often rely on those court systems to try to assert and defend our rights, but those are generally rights vis-a-vis the state, vis-a-vis Canada, as opposed to maintaining, asserting, and defending our own inherent sovereignty based on our own laws. Now, that's not to say that we can't use the court system strategically. I think we should. I think there have been very uh, targeted court cases that were meant to dismantle and repeal or reject some of Canada's most racist and discriminatory laws and policies. However, When it comes to the big ticket items, I don't think we should take the risk of giving it over to Canada's court system to say, hey, do we have Aboriginal title here? Hey, do we have a sovereignty here? Because the answer is almost always going to be no Or, yes, but, a whole bunch of limitations. And the core aspect of sovereignty is we never, ever hand it over to anyone else to decide, limit, or define. And I would like to think that we can work together to use the court system strategically to counter um, some of Canada's discriminatory laws, but not in any way to make decisions on some of our most foundational aspects of our nationhood. Now, this one might be a little bit controversial, but I also see um, this has been a tactic of both federal and provincial governments for the last few decades, in particular, is well-funded tables. So, money given to national organizations or regional organizations to sit at tables, be it a fiscal table, a policy table, you name it. There are hundreds of tables ongoing right now, well-funded, they take lots and lots of energy resources. They take all of our technicians and experts to sit at these tables and for the you know majority of them, they don't accomplish anything. And in many cases, you have tables that have been ongoing for years and years and years and years and years, and years without any concrete output whatsoever. So what that does is it keeps us in stasis. We're not moving ahead, We're not moving backwards, but we're not getting our issues around our lands, our resources, our nationhood, our own self-determination or self-governing processes. Those things aren't moving ahead. We're just almost staying on pause. Meanwhile, Canada and the provinces and even some municipalities are extracting all of the resources from our territories so that there will be none when and if we ever get around to actually asserting our ownership and our governing um, over all of these resources. Now, another threat that I have identified previously is the concept of ceding, surrendering, or extinguishing any of our rights in any context in exchange for money. So think of something, even a small specific land claim, say five acres that was wrongfully taken by a hydro company and now you're in specific land claim negotiations. Um, There should be no condition on the table that requires you to give up all your rights to those five acres. There should be a way to negotiate that you get to keep those lands You get to be compensated for all of the loss of past use, but you get to on an ongoing basis be the one who decides whether or not that land's used in the future and how so. For example, you could offer a lease to a hydro company and get payments on an annual basis so that you still owe the land, you've maintained the integrity of your territory, and you get some profit from it going forward without having to give up all your rights. Because here's the other thing. The only real sovereignty in this country has always come from our traditional indigenous nations. The Mi'kmaq Nation, the Haudenosaunee, the Cree Nation, and so on and so forth. All Canada did when it came here was assert sovereignty. So they don't have actual, real, authentic, and original sovereignty. They have to Take it by force and continue to act as if they're sovereign, or they have to buy it one acre at a time. Why on earth would we allow Canada to buy sovereignty over our territories? And I know that we haven't always thought about it that way. And I also know that Canada has us, you know, over a barrel. They know they've created this system that has maintained poverty. They have excluded us largely from the economy. They have done everything they can to control us. So it's very difficult to think about turning away money in order pr- to protect our sovereignty and ownership over our own territories. But it's something that I think we really need to reconsider. The entire specific claims and comprehensive land claims process is all based on Seed Surrender and Extinguish. And I know that the government has run around the last few years and said, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore, but talk to any of the lawyers at the negotiating tables. They are still doing that, um, and we have to be very, very careful about what we're willing to give up now in exchange for money that never lasts, no matter how much it is. And finally, the other threat, which I think is probably the biggest threat to our sovereignty and nationhood, is us not believing we are sovereign, that we are independent, that we are self-determining, that we are a nation. The biggest threat is really us just giving up. And, And I'll tell you why that's important because we're the ones who are the citizens. We're the ones who actually support this nation, this whole concept of a nation. If we give up, if we don't contribute to it, if we say, "Well, if someone else believes in it, they can do it," then we're going to have a scenario where there is no nation. We will just be uh, a member of another cultural group that has some multicultural rights, you know, um, within the state. And similarly attached to not believing or not acting as though we're sovereign or independent or a nation is waiting, waiting for someone else to do it, waiting for the Assembly of First Nations, waiting for the Native Women's Association, waiting for our provincial organizations, waiting for a tribal council to do something, or waiting for you know that next great prime minister who's finally going to be the one to grant us everything we want because none of that is realistic none of it is happening we've waited we've we've worked with lots of different partners and they're simply not going to do it the only people who have both the right and the responsibility to focus on our nationhood. We simply can't wait anymore. And here's a message that might be a little bit difficult. We are never gonna have enough experts, we're never gonna have enough time, we're never gonna have enough money and resources, we're never gonna reach that state of perfection where now, yes, 100% of the people agree, we have international experts from all over the world to help us develop our laws, and we have billions of dollars that's not reality we have to go ahead and start asserting our sovereignty in our nationhood regardless of all of these impediments and that means drafting our laws, enforcing our laws, and adjudicating our laws on an ongoing basis. And yes, our laws are going to be imperfect. They're going to be messy. Sometimes they'll be in conflict with one another. They will be challenged. There'll be people who don't agree. And our some of our laws may even be challenged or overturned or repealed or struck down or have to be amended. But think about that. All of that are of sovereignty and nationhood, the process is just as important as the individual law itself. Look at Canada or any of the provinces or municipalities. They enact laws all the time that are struck down, that are, you know, considered void and null that have to be amended or repealed or or gotten rid of altogether. But it's the process that they're engaged in, that sovereign act of nationhood and nation building and asserting their authority and jurisdiction over particular areas. So we need to do the same thing and accept that we're going to make lots of mistakes along the way. Like like every other nation in the world and and think about that every nation in the world has social conflict they have legal conflict they have political conflict but that's what nationhood is all about we shouldn't shy away from the conflict That's actually a healthy part of human development. Any advances that have ever been made in any society around the world has come with social, political, and legal struggle and conflict. We need to embrace that conflict and find ways to move forward that helps dissipate some of the uh, the difficulties and challenges that create that conflict to begin with. But none of this is going to happen unless we have all of you. If we expect Chief Bernard and Chief Gould to go out there and fight these fights and try to rebuild the nation all on their own, it simply isn't going to happen. We need every one of you to be the backup that they have. And and that includes the traditional elders. That includes our traditional forms of government too. That includes all of the people that we work with as experts and advisors advisors. It includes our youth who are the ones who are going to be carrying this nation forward. We literally have to include everyone in this journey. But when I say that, also understand that it doesn't require everyone to be 100% unanimous on everything. That's not what consensus is about. Consensus is a process. It's not an end result. So in the end nationhood it's not going to be a part-time job it's not about volunteerism it's not a short-term project or an initiative It is something we all have an obligation to contribute to on an ongoing basis for our entire lives. If we expect to have all of the benefits and privileges of being part of the Mi'kmaq Nation, well, we have to live up to our rights and responsibilities to contribute to it and make sure that exists in the future. And what can everyone do? Keep attending events like this, self-educating, go to information sessions, You know, offer to volunteer, um, try to find ways in which you can contribute to your nation on an ongoing basis. And that includes people who don't even live in the territory anymore. Our responsibility can unfold in a wide variety of ways, no matter where we're currently living or what job we're currently in think as a Mi'kmaq citizen, what can you do to help versus just what you believe that you're entitled to? Because being part of a nation is a relationship. It's about what you give as much as what you get and similarly the nation can't hold itself out as a nation unless it's fulfilling its responsibilities to make sure that all of its citizens, no matter where they're located, all feel part of our collective as a nation. And you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to contribute 100% of your time. The important part is just doing it. And by acting sovereign and rebuilding our nation, and focusing on us instead of on all of these external forces, eventually we're just going to push federal, provincial, municipal jurisdiction right out of the way. And eventually we'll expand our nation, we'll expand our jurisdiction into lots of different areas. But none of this is possible unless we take the risk, unless we put all of our faith in ourselves and our collective and agree to forgive one another for being colonized, except our people no matter where they are and make those important acts of contribution to our nationhood and our sovereignty and our territories and our independence and our economies without judging people who can't do that right now because we all have different skills and capacities and we're all at different places in life and there were some times in my life where I had to focus on raising my babies But that's an important part of nationhood, having strong, healthy, loved babies. Similarly, there were times when my sister couldn't go out and protest and defend our rights but she could babysit my kids while I went out and did it. There are so many ways that we can contribute. It's just about contributing at different times and different places and accepting that we're all going to do it in different ways. Because to my mind, the path to healing from genocide and oppression is one that lifts up our people and rebuilds our nation. Thank you all so much for tuning into my podcast show, The Warrior Life. What I'll do is I'll post a link to some of the YouTube videos related to Mi'kmaq Nationhood and other um, conference addresses that I have given on Nationhood so that you can access them here. If you like this podcast episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and particularly sharing each episode because the more we share all of these discussions, um, the more we can help educate, inform, and empower one another. And make sure to keep leaving me all of your questions, your comments, and your feedback, and in particular, show ideas in the comment section. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, uh, but you can also access this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore as I talk about warrior living and some of the things I do on a day-to-day basis. And you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing all of our Indigenous peoples. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walalia.